This is the parable of the ten virgins. And it reads as follows. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Amen. Cheers, Jake. Have you ever been around um, some people, some friends, who know one another so well that they kind of have their own language? They're sort of like talking without actually talking. Or maybe, um, you know, you say something that's kind of normal, but then they burst into, into fits of laughter because they've got some inside joke. And it's just kind of like isolating like that. Or maybe you've been around those awkward married couples who finish one of the sentences. Like, what is that about? It's just weird. Um, or maybe, maybe you've observed a conversation between two engineers. Have, have, do you understand the word they say? Or you've heard Ben talk about music and sound. Like, I have no idea what's going on when he talks about that kind of thing. Maybe you've been abroad, you know, you've been to a foreign country, somewhere where you don't speak the native language and you've got a few words or phrases to get by but anything outside of that you just it's all noise actually while I'm on this how come when we uh, get taught languages at school or whatever we get taught how to say our name and our age like when have we ever needed that I want to say where is the post office not I'm 26 we need to change that in schools but the principle applies when we're with people and they're speaking a different language or something we don't understand or they're very insular, it's easy to just zone out. We realize that we can't understand what's going on, so we sort of switch off until the conversation moves on to something that we understand. We've all been there, and I think we do this with the Bible. You know, perhaps we're reading through the Bible and we come across a passage that seems quite strange or a book that's quite unfamiliar. And often, you know, we either just blast through it to get to make it through, or we just skip to more familiar territory. And I think the parables of Jesus are a perfect example of this. People either skip them because they think that they're, you know, full of riddles and deep hidden meanings, or they just sort of read really strange ideas into them that aren't what Jesus meant. You see, when we read the Bible and the New Testament and about Jesus, he told parables to everyone, townspeople, fishermen, teachers and experts in religious law. And outside of like big blocks of teaching like the Sermon on the Mount, the parables are Jesus' preferred teaching method. 
And Jesus did not tell parables because they were riddles which only a select intellectual few could understand. They're not stories or allegories with hidden meanings. They are parables to be understood by fishermen, by lawyers, by bankers, by children, by teachers, by nurses, by experts in religion. Parables are to be understood. And when Jesus was asked about the reason he teaches in parables, his explanation is given in three of the Gospels. He says that they give truth and understanding of the kingdom of God to those who are called by God, but they harden the hearts of others. So because we see Jesus teaching the parables throughout his Gospels, it is clear that they are meant to be understood. A book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth uses this example of what parables are for. In Matthew 21, Jesus is challenged by some experts in religious law, and he tells them the parable of the tenants. If you don't know it, check it out later today. Read it for yourself later. But what happens is the experts in religious law understand the parable, understand what Jesus is saying, understand that Jesus is talking about them, but their hearts are hardened. They get mad at him and choose to kill him. The problem was not with understanding the parable, but letting the parable change their behavior. Parables require a response. And the reason I'm saying this is because I want you to know that you can read the Bible for yourself and understand it. There are fantastic books unpacking themes and teaching in the Bible that we can read. There's commentaries that will take us through books of the Bible and help us to understand it. And there's great preachers and teachers who will use the Bible and make it exciting. And these are all great. And we should read them. We should listen to them. We must do that. But they have to come second to a personal reading, a personal studying, and love for the direct word of God. These great books, these great preachers are to be supplements and not substitutes. If we're living off this, off, of these books and, and sermons, but not reading the Bible for ourselves, it's like living off protein shakes and vitamins. We need meat. We need some vegetables and some gravy. We need the word of God. Don't settle for anything less. So as we go through this series on the parables and we hear messages on them throughout the week, don't rely on Nick, myself, Mark or Kevin or whoever to interpret them for you. They are not full of hidden meanings. The parables are there to be understood. And the problem is not with understanding them, but allowing them to change our behavior. So I want to encourage you today to listen with an open heart. Hear what is being said and ask, how can I personally respond to this? This parable today that Jake's read is quite a weighty parable, and it's got a difficult message. But we can't be immature and only listen to what makes us feel good. So let's ask God to keep us open and be ready to listen and obey. Father God, I thank you that we can read your word. I thank you that you've spoken to us through your word. And I pray that today you will challenge us, you'll encourage us, you'll teach us, and you will rebuke us where necessary. Help us to leave this building more in love with you, loving you more and hating sin more. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll speak through and beyond me. Amen. So the parable of the ten virgins is right in the middle 
of Jesus' revelation of the end times in Matthew. Jesus has taken his disciples away privately and was discussing with them what will happen during and before he returns for the second time in his second coming. So in the first half of this section in Matthew, Jesus um, describes some of the signs of the times that will accompany his return. And the second half, where we find the parable of the ten virgins, he uses a few parables to teach how believers are meant to live ready and expectant of his return. So the parable of the ten virgins and the other parables around it are exhortation of Jesus to keep watch and be ready and live in expectation of his return. And that is what it's all about. That is what this parable is all about. To be watchful and to prepare for the return of Christ. So as I said, it's not about reading to the fine details, being like, well, there are five wise and five foolish, so only 50% will make it. That's not what this parable is about. The parable is about keeping watch, being ready, and the need for faithful obedience during the delay of Jesus' second coming. So let's chat through this parable and discuss what it means to keep watch and be ready. So I've visited Poland a fair few times, and I love it. It's the only place where I don't have to spell my surname. I love being there. I love to see where my granddad grew up and eat the food and drink the drink. You know, I'll book a table at a restaurant. They'll see my last name. Uh, you know, I'll, they'll, I'll say chess to them at the door, say hello. I'll eat cabbage because those Poles love cabbage. But as soon as he starts speaking to me in Polish, that is when I'm lost. That is when I'm lost. See, I look the part. I eat the part. And I might sound the part, but I am not Polish. I don't live there. I don't speak the language. And in this parable, we see some people who look and sound the part. But when it comes down to it, it's just a front. And it's not who they really are. We read of five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. The foolish had lamps and they looked the part, but they weren't prepared. They weren't true followers of Jesus. For Jesus to say to them, I tell you the truth, I don't know you, in verse 12 at the end of the parable, and not allow them into the wedding banquet, into eternity with him, that we cannot describe them as Christians or true believers. You see, Jesus was telling this parable to his 12 disciples, you know, his select few. And from the outside, they all look like solid, obedient disciples. You know, they were doing life with Jesus. They were healing people and uh, casting out demons in his name. We read that through the Gospels. However, one of them, Judas, betrays Jesus and is subject to eternal judgment in hell. This shows that it is possible to know Jesus, in a certain sense the word no, to heal people and cast out demons in his name, yet not love him, and not have a saving relationship with him. Church, it's not about looking the part. It's about him having your heart. So you can go to church every week and post uh, pictures on Instagram or Bible verses and still not have a saving relationship with Jesus. What is your primary concern? What are you living for? Have you truly repented? Have you left your old, sinful, self-interested way at the foot of the cross? 
Do you hate what is evil and cling to what is good? What is your life about? Is it consumed for Jesus with love for him and complete abandonment and forgetfulness of yourself? Looking the part isn't, isn't enough. Owning a Bible isn't enough. You've got to read it, love it, and live it. Going to church is not enough. We're to love one another. Even the strange and weird people like myself, we're to love one another, pray for one another. Galatians 6 says, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. It's not about looking the part. It's about him having your heart. Think about this for a minute. Now, it's an extreme example, but it proves the point. Satan, the devil, knows God. And we see from Jesus' temptation in the wilderness that Satan also knows the Bible. But we know that Satan is condemned to eternal punishment and judgment in hell. You see, James 2 says it. He says, you say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? I don't want to know God like the devil knows God. I don't want to know the Bible like the devil knows the Bible. I want to love God, to be devoted to him, to obey his every command, to really love him with all of my heart, to put him first, to delight in him. I don't want to just look the part. Church, don't just be satisfied that you've got a lamp. It's the oil in it. Are you ready for Jesus' return? Have you got substance to your faith? Knowledge alone is not enough but to keep watch. 1 John 2 says this, We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So we have to ask ourselves, are we living as Jesus did? And if the answer is no, then we have to pay attention to the end of this parable. Jesus says, truly I tell you, I don't know you. And that we're to keep watch because we don't know the day or the hour. Jesus is coming back. And we don't know the day or the hour. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. Are we ready for Jesus' return? So we read in this parable that all the virgins fall asleep, all ten of them. Verse 5 says this. It says, The bridegroom was a long time coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, come and meet him. All the virgins then woke up and trimmed the lamps. So falling asleep isn't an issue here. They all did it, the wise and the foolish. So being ready... You could be ready and fall asleep. Being ready doesn't mean, you know, quitting a job and climbing a mountain saying, Lord, I'm ready. That's not what being ready is. Keeping ready, being ready, keeping watch doesn't mean, you know, sacking off your life and never sleeping. Keeping watch is all about focus. And there are two options for focus. 
We can focus on God and eternity, or we can focus on myself and now. Our focus can either be on ourselves and our present circumstances, or it could be on God, his glory, and eternity with him. So what do your prayers say about your focus? What does your financial spending say about your focus? Is it God and eternity, or is it me and now? What do your day-to-day decisions, your thought life, say about your focus? Is it your focus on God and eternity, or me and now? So we're not meant to sit at the top of a mountain with a Bible, dressed in sackcloth and saying, Lord, I'm ready. We're meant to be in the world, doing good work, being good parents, loving our neighbours, taking our kids to school, caring for those who are alone and pure and poor, going to the supermarket, just doing life. But with a different focus. We're not meant to abandon life, rather to be in it, but living it a different way, with a different focus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought at a price and therefore honour God with your bodies. And that church is keeping watch. So when the, um, the virgins wake up, we read it, it says this, The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. So this is not some selfish thing or whatever. It is the responsibility of each person to be prepared individually. We can't rely on someone else's faith. You can't rely on someone else's faith. You must know Jesus for yourself. You can't rely on your husband or your wife or your, your parents or the pastor or elders. It is the responsibility of each person to be prepared individually. You can't rely on someone else's faith. And as we read this parable, I want you to pay attention. The virgins didn't get a second chance. Those that were ready, when he returned, joined Jesus and were with him forever. For those who weren't ready, they were cut off forever. And I cannot stress this more. We can't kid ourselves about our spiritual health. Jesus must be everything or nothing and there's no in between our lives are either all about Jesus or they are not at all so salvation being right with God is received by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and saviour of our life and it's by repentance which means turning from sin and to God you see we cannot love both God and sin genuine faith and genuine repentance go together. Because turning from sin in a genuine way is impossible apart from genuinely turning to God. We are to be living for one another, or for for one or the other. And if it's not for God, then it's sin. So keeping watch means being ready, means loving God and hating sin. Romans 12, 9 says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. To keep watch, our eyes must be on Jesus. As we take our kids to school, as we live our life, as we're in the world, it's being having a focus on God and eternity 
not on myself and now. Timothy 2.19 says, Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So we see that when Jesus encounters people personally, he requires them to turn from sin before following him. Think about the rich young ruler in Luke 18. You know, he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, so obey them. And, and the rich young ruler says, well, I have obeyed them ever since I was birth." But then Jesus says this. Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give all your money to the poor. But the young man can't do it. Jesus will always put his finger on the area of sin most influential in a person's life. Jesus must be everything or nothing. Com- commitment to Christ, if genuine, must include a commitment to turn away from sin. Asking Jesus to be our Lord and Savior is not just a prayer to pray. It is a life to live. The effect of that initial saving faith and initial repentance will change our life forever. And it should change our life forever. Why and how we do things will shift from me and now to God and eternity. So to keep watch and be ready for Jesus' coming, to have a lamp with oil in, to have genuine saving faith, means turning and committing to Jesus, loving him with all that we are, and turning from and hating sin. But this is hard. Church, this is hard. And let's be honest, the reason that we sin is because it feels good. We wouldn't if it didn't. But think about it. That is the same as drinking poison because it tastes like candy floss. Sin will kill you. Sin will kill you. And it's a disease to get rid of. It is going to be hard. And we cannot do it without Jesus and his Holy Spirit living in us and enabling us. This is impossible to do without God's enabling. And this faith in Christ, this repentance, is a lifelong thing. It's not a one-hit wonder. Think about the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray every day. To forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's a daily thing. Jesus says this in Matthew 7. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. Only a few ever find it. The Christian life is a difficult road to walk. You know it's easier not to keep watch. It's easier to have a lamp with no oil. It's easier to look the part but not live it. But if you want easy, being a Christian is not for you. In the book of Revelation, the risen Christ addresses different churches. Some he challenges, some he encourages. There's one that really scares me. In um, Revelation chapter 3, he says this to the church in Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, 
I am about to spit you from my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've, I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But do you not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salt to put in your eyes so that you can see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent be earnest and repent this is Jesus warning to the church before he returns this is a warning which we have to follow be earnest and repent this is wisdom this is keeping watch to those who aren't earnest to those who don't repent who aren't prepared and ready for his return who are like the foolish virgins well the parable of the ten virgins Jesus says to them I don't know you and in Revelation he says he'll spit them out of his mouth there is no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. You're either hot or you're not. Jesus refers to them as wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. No wonder they're not allowed into the wedding banquet. When we read that Jesus will not allow the five foolish, unprepared virgins into the banquet, we see, therefore, that they can't be Christians. When we read that Jesus spits the lukewarm out of his mouth, we see that they cannot be Christians. Jesus holds those who are his dear. I beg you to take this seriously, church. I plead to pay attention to Jesus' warning at the end of this, to be ready to keep watch. More than your life depends upon this, your eternity. We've got to keep watch because we do not know the day or the hour. Verse 5 says, The bridegroom was a long time coming. You know, it's been nearly 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. And since then, people have mocked, they've jeered, they've laughed, and they've said that he's not coming back. But be assured he is. Either he's going to come back, or you're going to die and meet him. But you will meet him. And we'll all bow before him. But let it be a choice on this earth to bow before him. There's no second chance. Uh, Peter addresses this, Jesus' delay, in 2 Peter 3. If you've got a Bible, I advise you to turn to this. It might be on the screen. 2 Peter 3, starting with verse 3, says this. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on and on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's world, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of us understand slowness. 
Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear and with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to that new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Jesus is coming back. And we are to keep watch. And we are to be ready. I'm going to invite the band up. But I want to finish now by speaking about how we can respond to this. As I said earlier, the parables require a response. Let us not be like the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. Go away with hard hearts, angry and plotting to kill. <laughs> Let us be soft and allow God to change us. So how can we respond? I'm going to suggest a few different ways we can respond. But if God's been putting something on your heart throughout this message, I want you to encourage you to get up and go and do it. But the first way we can respond is by making a commitment to read the Bible. Nick emphasized this last week in his message, and I want to do it again. If we are to be people of God, we are to be people of his word. I worked something out yesterday. If we read five or six chapters of the New Testament a day, we'll have read it all by Easter. What an awesome time of growth that would be. Five or six chapters a day, and you've read the whole New Testament by Easter. Our five or six chapters takes 15 to 20 minutes. I spend longer than that in a shower. But wouldn't a great time of growth that would be? But after you've read the Bible, don't just leave it there. Spend 15 to 20 minutes processing it, thinking about it, thinking, what does this say about you, God? How can I live this out? We can't just read the Bible. We have to allow it to permeate us and live it out. And then once you've done that, start with the Old Testament and you'll see it off by Christmas. We're to be people of the word. We spend more time reading other stuff than we do the Bible. We've got Bibles in our houses, church. There's people all over the world who it's illegal for them to have a Bible. Or there isn't a Bible in their language. And we've got five or six in our house and we don't read it? Come on! To be people of the word, shame on us if we do not read the Bible. For Christians, we've got to do it. 
Let's not pretend. Let's live it. My heart breaks for those in North Korea who have little bits of the Bible and they have to bury it when people come round to their house. And we've got six on our shelves that are collecting dust. Come on. But we should do it in fellowship. If you're not in a life group, I want to encourage you to join one. We've got lots in the church. Speak to Pastor Nick after this service. There'll be one meeting down the road from you. But if not, start one. Get two or three people around you and commit to meet regularly and read a chapter of the Bible and just talk about it together for an hour. This walk cannot be walked alone. We will not survive. We will not be found ready. We won't be keeping watch if we try to do this alone. Going to church once a week is not enough. It's not. Where did we even get that from? Can you see that in the Bible? Where is going to church once a week enough? We're to live it day to day. Meeting up with one another, talking about the Bible, reading the Bible, sharing with one another. That is life as a Christian. So get in a life group. Speak to Nick after this if you're not. It'll save your life. Thirdly, if we're in habitual or repetitive sin, then that has to end today. Then it ends today. Following Jesus means turning to him and away from sin. And now this isn't easy, but it is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. So if that's you right now, if you've been battling with habitual repetitive sin and it's on your mind now, then I invite you just to bring it to Jesus in prayer. Confess. Ask him to bring you to godly sorrow and repentance. Ask him to help you hate it and to love him. Ask him to cover you in his blood and wash you white in the snow, separating your sin from you as far as the east is from the west because he will do it. And he promised to do that. He is faithful. But we have to continue in this. It's not a one-hit wonder. It's not just a prayer to pray then carry on living the same way. To continue in freedom from sin, we must confess the habitual sin pattern to another believer, to someone who we trust, someone who loves God, and ask them to support us. James 5 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We have to lean on one another. But also we have to lean into God and ask him to give us strength to resist temptation. Because the temptation will keep coming. We have to match it with the strength from God. And the more we love and know God, the more we will hate sin and see it for what it is. And also, we can do this through Bible study. Regularly meeting up with friends, reading the Bible, loving God. That is the way to freedom. And finally, if you don't know Jesus, If you haven't made a commitment of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour and you haven't repented of your sinful behaviour, then do it today. Don't leave here. Pay attention to the warning. He's coming soon. We do not know the day or the hour of Jesus' return. So we're going to sing a final song right now. If you'd like to stand, that would be great. I want you to think through what you've heard today. Maybe think through some of the points of response I've said or something that God's been putting on your heart throughout perhaps there's an area of sin to confess an encouragement to keep going a challenge to read the Bible more or maybe a commitment to turn from sin and 
to turn to Jesus. We'll sing a song. Then after this, we'll take a bit of time for prayer. I fix my eyes upon the cross Reaching out with all I've